Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. What I'm going to be talking about today uh, deals with worship. For this, this month of December, we have been, um, we've been talking about um, the theme, A Thrill of Hope, uh, around the Christmas month. And uh, we've been focusing on the Christmas carol, O Holy Night, and taking various uh, lines and phrases from that hymn to help us in our in our time of worship and um, the songwriter the French songwriter who was asked to draft and create a song for Christmas Eve service uh, he went to the scripture in Luke chapter 2 and he read about the angels heralding the birth of Jesus to the angels and the shepherds in Bethlehem going and following the angels instruction to go to the to the place where Joseph and Mary were and seeing the the manger and uh, Christ laying there, and this morning I want to I want to focus on angels. Um, the Lord gave me a um, a word for the church today to just let us be reminded that angels are coming. The angels are coming. The angels are coming, and um, the the two primary offices and gifts that are in my life, and the many spiritual gifts that I uh, have been directed by the Spirit of God to use and operate in, again, not just in the church, but in the marketplace and in municipalities. But two primary ones are the office of an apostle and a teacher. And so I activate both of those this morning in this message. And the teacher in me could take you all the way back to a study of angels to understand that they are creatures by creatures made by God. Angels are not uh, the equivalent of God. Angels are not all-powerful Although they are powerful creatures, because there's an Old Testament scripture that says that one angel killed 185,000 Syrians with just one swing. Uh, but they are still not omnipotent. They're not all-powerful. Only God is. Angels are not omnipresent. They're not everywhere at the same time. Angels are not all-knowing. Only God is. But they are called mighty ones, and angels are created to do God's word. They are created to be on an assignment to follow the commands of the Lord. Angels are uh, categorized as principalities and powers. They are dominions, and the word dominion means kingdom. So angels understand rulership. They understand rank and order. And there is, uh, there is a heavenly realm and a heavenly rank, just like we have natural military ranks, 
and orders and degrees, so it is in the heavenly realm. Angels also are an example to us. They show us what perfect obedience should look like. When God gives a command, the angels don't question, they don't ask how, they don't ask why, they just do it. They obey. Angels uh, are an example to us also of how to worship. In the book of Revelation, we read about uh, the myriad of angels, thousands upon thousands, saying together with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Angels are not to be worshipped. Angels were created to worship God with a perfect obedience. So they are examples to us. So if angels find it in their highest joy and their highest good use to obey God, shouldn't we too? Not only do we learn from angels, but God created us to teach the angels something. Angels learn from us how to worship as well. Because we worship in a different way than angels do. So let me take you to the scripture. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well. And he, in verse 21, says to the woman, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is. Now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus says the hour is now. We're in a season right now that God has looking, he's created people, but he's looking for those who will rise up to their assignment to be qualified as teachers of angelic beings on how to worship God. And the two qualifications that, that, that put you in that category are that you worship God with the right spirit and heart, but you also worship him in truth. That means that you worship God even in the tough times. It's easy to worship God in here now that we got new carpet and new paint and the chairs are back in. But how was your worship over in the gym a couple of weeks ago? Do you choose to continue to worship God even when all hell is breaking loose around you? Do you still hold on to the right truth about who God is? who he says he, was, he is, or does your mind somewhat change and sway because difficulties are happening in your life? God is looking. He's seeking worshipers. And when he finds those who worship him in spirit and in truth, then he consecrates them and says, you are now qualified to teach angels, principalities, and powers how to worship. Let me go a little bit deeper. God is looking for free worshipers. He's looking for free worshipers. Angels are not free worshipers. Angels don't have a free will to choose whether or not they're going to worship God. They were created for that purpose, to obey the command of God. But when we talk about free worship, listen, let me just correct your theology. Free worship don't mean, okay, I can do whatever I want to do. 
If I want to stand up right now and shout while Bishop is preaching, I'm a free worshiper. That's not, the devil is a liar. That's not what it means. <laughs> I'm going to tell you to sit down. Free worship means you have a free moral choice. You have, you have a free will that you can choose to worship God. So free worship means that I can choose to worship God in the good times, but also have a choice, can I worship him in the bad times? God is looking for people like that. And so the reason that God made you and I was to get another type of praise, but also to teach the angels how to worship. So he made you and I, he made a mud man and a mud woman out of the dust of the ground, made in his own image, and he breathed into us the breath of life. He gave us a free will. We're not robots. We're not on automatic to worship. You get to choose whether you're going to activate your praise and activate your obedience and activate your worship. And then God put us in a garden, a place of perfection like the angels, but didn't take away our free will. And that fallen angel, Lucifer, came and deceived the woman and led the, the man, Adam, into a free moral choice to choose to be like God and go his own way. And even though man was now lost and lost that fellowship with God, God redeemed the man, brought him back because he still had a purpose to teach the angel something about himself. And so here is this, this redeemed man, Adam and Eve, now clothed with, with an, the skin of an innocent animal, blood dripping down from their, from their clothes, covered in the blood. The angels are watching and they still have a choice. Are they going to worship God? Let me tell you why God did it. He did it to put on display the manifold wisdom and love of God. What does that mean? That means that God wanted the principalities and the powers and the dominions and the angels and demons that are in a heavenly unseen realm that you and I don't touch, feel, communicate with, we don't think about, we don't even see. He wanted the unseen world to know that he is all wise and he's all loving. That's why he created you and I. To display his manifold wisdom and love. Let me show you what I mean in Ephesians chapter 3. And now we're going we're gonna, to, in, in this new year, as we cross over, and even today, I'm just going to let you know, we're getting back to the Bible. We're getting back to Scripture. We are, we are emphasizing not only, amen, you can praise God for that, but some of y'all are like, what does that mean? We ain't going to have the screens. Yeah, we'll still have the screens. But listen, a lot of us, we got, we got three or four Bibles at home, but we don't read them. We're so busy and we got, we got, you know, I'm just going to listen to the radio. And, you know, you need to get your face in the book and get out of Facebook. Amen. And so we're going we're gonna to focus on biblical reading and Bible study and scripture memory and becoming biblically literate because the church is becoming super spiritual without any clout in our shout. That, I didn't mean it to rhyme, but it does. Without a clout in your shout. And so we go into Ephesians 3, chapter 5, verse through verse 11. And Paul is, is writing. He's, he's the author of this letter to the church at Ephesus. And he's talking about his ministry to the Gentiles, which was a mystery. He says, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, 
as it has now been revealed by the Holy Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Why? To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by who? By the church. To who? To the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God says, I'm going to teach the angels something through you, through the church. I'm going to teach them about my wisdom and about my love and about my power through the local church. And so these angels, which are these heavenly creatures, these mighty beings that are, that are divided up into various types. You have the cherubim who are mentioned several times in scripture. These are the ones who guarded the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were cast out. These are the ones who are enthroned above the Ark of the Covenant and, and the throne of God. They, they are there looking at the blood of the mercy seat. And then you have those who are called seraphim. These are the ones who are these fiery ones, these, these angels that Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6 that had six wings and they flew with two, they covered their face with two, and they covered their feet with two. And all day and night they were crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then you have living creatures that Ezekiel in Revelation talks about, which are just the multitude of, of angels. Some of them are manifested like animals, lions and ox and an eagle and a man. But, but how, whatever form God chooses for them to take. And then you have the, the angels that are in a hierarchy. You have those that are noted to be archangels. Two by name that were, that were referred to in scripture. One is Gabriel that... The, the birth of Christ was, was heralded and announced by Gabriel, the messenger angel, to Zechariah and to Mary. And Joseph spoke to him and he was the messenger angel. He was the one that spoke to Daniel, but he, he was sent by God the day that Daniel prayed. But 21 days he had to fight in the supernatural realm with the prince of Persia, a principality, a fallen angel, and it took another archangel by the name of Michael, who's the warrior angel, to bind the prince of Persia so that Gabriel could fulfill his assignment and bring Daniel a revelation. And we read about this war that took place in heaven in Revelation chapter 12, that there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. It used to be called Lucifer. I'll talk about him in a moment. But that dragon and his angels, one third of them, they fought, but they were defeated. And you know what happened to Lucifer? He became the devil. 
and he was cast out of heaven. That's why when Jesus sent the disciples out in this season of the 70, he sent 70 disciples out two by two, and he gave them power and authority over the devil and his angels. He said, cast the devil out, heal the sick, preach the good news, raise the dead, and to every city that I'm going to come, you go before me. The 70 disciples came back with joy and rejoicing, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Even these fallen angels who became demons, they recognize your, the authority of your name. And Jesus says, don't simply rejoice because demons are subject to you, but rejoice because your name is written in the book of life. Rejoice that you are saved and you have a relationship with the Father through my blood. That you are my children, you are my sons and daughters. And then the Bible says that Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, Father, I thank you that you have chosen to hide these things, these mysteries from the wise, from the mature, from the educated, from the older uh, religious folk. And you have chosen to reveal them to your babies, to your sons and to your daughters. And then he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The moment that the devil rose up and said, I'm going to be like God. God said, just like a lightning bolt. He just cast him out of heaven. And he came down to the earth. And that dragon, that, 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 that created archangel, Lucifer, became the devil. He became Satan. We are introduced to Lucifer in two scriptures, in Ezekiel chapter 28 and in Isaiah 14. I told you all we're getting back to the Bible. In Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, it introduces us to the characteristics and to the quality of the heart of Lucifer. And this is the one that God created as an archangel, Lucifer, which means a son of the morning, which means a bright star. He was created to be a worship leader in heaven. Gabriel was the messenger, Michael was the warrior, and Lucifer was to be the worshiper. The scripture tells us that he had pipes and instruments that were built into his body and into his being as an angel. Those of you that are familiar with music and with instruments know that there are three categories of instruments. There are woodwind instruments, there are percussion instruments, and there are string instruments. And all three of these were woven. God fabricated them when he made Lucifer. He placed them on the inside of him so that every time he yawned or every time he moved his hand or every time he took a step or he took a breath or he clapped his hands, it was a melodic praise and an expression of the glory of God. But he wasn't content with that. He said, I want to be like God. And so he used his influence. He used his beauty. He used his intellect to deceive and to lie to one third of the angels in heaven and lead them in a mutiny against God. <laughs> Your arms too short to box with God. And Lucifer became the devil. But you know what? He has not stopped seeking worship. God is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. And Lucifer is also seeking worshipers, but he's seeking worshipers who will assist him in tarnishing and blotting out and defacing the image of God. You and I were created in the image of God. And Romans chapter 1, I don't have time to go there, but Romans chapter 1 talks about how man has been so 
deceived and perverted that he has changed the image of God into the image of created things and has chosen to worship the creation of his hand rather than the image of God. Man has chosen to change the natural order of God instead of men with women to be men with men and women with women. He's defacing the image of God and the devil fights this warfare and he seeks to get worship still today. And he especially fights in the realm of the arts. Because it's in the arts that we, that we see a first visual and sensory, which means we feel, visual we see, sensory we touch, an expression of who we are. It's seen in the art, it's seen in music, it's seen in fashion, it's seen in design, it's seen in dance, it's seen in hairstyles, it's seen in jewelry making. It's, y'all know what I'm talking about. It's seen in the manifestation of the arts. That's where warfare is taking place. The warfare is a fight over the image of God. Because God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so the false image of who God is is a lie about the image of God. But true worship sets the record straight about who God is. So the devil took a third of the angels with him. And Jesus was there to witness it. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And this shows you something about the truth and the nature of God that I think we ought to just tap into. That God is not diminished when people leave him. God is not diminished when his creation falls. He's still God. <laughs> Amen. A lot of preachers ought to learn this lesson. God is not diminished when some folks say, you know, my season is up. I'm going to the church down the street. I'm not getting fed here. God is not diminished when a third of the angels decide, you know what? I'm not going to worship you. I'm going to worship this guy over here. God be like, okay, go on ahead. Jesus was not diminished when half of the crowd left him when he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciples. He encouraged them to leave because he's looking for true worshipers. He even turned to the disciples and said, will you leave me also? And Peter said, uh, no, Lord, where can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. A lot of preachers are membership manipulators. We got, you know, chihuahuas wearing tutus, jumping through hoops on the platform because we want a crowd. We don't want nobody to leave. Amen. We got the worship team looking like they at a BET concert, you know, with pencil dresses on and tight muscle shirts, right? Because we want to we want a crowd to come. Membership manipulators. God says, let's go ahead and leave. I'm still going to be God with you or without you. God says, you go ahead and leave. Your, your worship is programmed anyway. It ain't teaching nobody nothing. I'm going I'm to make me a mud man. And I'm going to allow him to choose. And even if he chooses the wrong way, I can redeem him. And I will still give him a free will. He can fall again if he wants to. But he can become a free worshiper and worship me in spirit and in truth. Oh, God. So angels... <laughs> They worship, but they, do, they worship out of program. <laughs> they, worship, they worship out of program. They, they, I don't know if they rehearse in heaven, but you and I, we, you know, we got this imperfect worship. 
it's imperfect. Let me tell you why it's imperfect. It's not, in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 6 that God commanded light to shine out of darkness. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Let me just stop right there. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. What's the treasure? The treasure is the divinity of God. It's the glory of God. What's the earthen vessel? An earthen vessel is a clay dirt pot. You and I are the pots. We're the earthen vessels. God is the divinity. God chooses to put his divinity inside of dirt. And every now and then, a little dirt comes through. When you're preaching, you say something you shouldn't say. That's dirt. You're praising and you're worshiping and you just, you just take the song into a whole nother chorus. You know, you sing five verses instead of three. And everybody looking at you like, you know, we didn't rehearse five. We only rehearsed three. That's a little bit of dirt. But God is still not diminished even when there's dirt manifested with the divinity. He doesn't take away your free will. And the angels sing in this perfect environment. They were created in a perfect world. Like Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. Except Adam and Eve had a free will. A free moral choice. That they could be free worshipers. Angels were created in this perfect environment. Come on, they are in heaven. They are in a place where streets are made of gold. They are in an environment where there's no sickness, there's no sin, there's no sorrow, there's no suffering, there's no crying, there's no day, there's no night because Jesus is the light all day, all long, 24-7, 365. In fact, there's no time. There's no hurry up. I got to get there. I'm going to be late. <laughs> all they do is worship God. Falling down before the throne, the 24 elders, you and I, when we get there, big mama, big daddy, up there with their robes on, with their crowns, throwing them at the feet of Jesus all day long. They're in a perfect environment. It's easy to worship God in a perfect environment. But see, the devil, the, I'm sorry, the, the angels cannot tell it like you and I can tell it what he's done for me. You don't know like, I, let me get my back. You don't know like I know what he done for me. <laughs> don't make me get my handkerchief out. <laughs> won't he do it? Angels can't say, won't he do it? Because he ain't done it for them. <laughs> they live in this perfect environment. But you and I, we go through hell and high water and heartbreak and disappointment and cancer diagnosis and divorce and eviction and job layoff and runaway children. And, and God still says, watch this, angels. <laughs> Lord, I thank you. I don't know why, but I thank you. And it puts his wisdom and it puts his love on display to the principalities and powers. And like, man, my God, we don't know nothing about that kind of worship. No wonder why Peter marveled in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter who, this, this apostle, y'all know Peter's journey, right? This fisherman who became a disciple, who became a denier of Jesus, who became an apostle. He writes as a pillar of the church to the, to the believers who are being persecuted for their faith. And now they, have to be, they are forced to leave Jerusalem and they're scattered abroad into all the regions of the world. Peter calls them pilgrims and strangers. 
which means that this earth is not your home. You are aliens. You don't really belong here, but God has put you here on an assignment. You are pilgrims. You are, this is not your home. You are journeying from here to there, but until you get there, keep praise in your mouth. You're looking for a home, a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. So he calls them pilgrims and strangers. But he says to them, he marvels at them in verse 6. He says, he says, my God, in this, even though you're being forced out of your home, even though they're tying animal skins upon you and throwing you to the dogs and to the lions, even though they're boiling you in oil and even though they're crucifying you and impaling your flesh, he says, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, you're rejoicing in the midst of your trial? He says, why? This proves the genuineness of your faith. Come on, I'm talking about authentic praise. I'm talking about true worshipers. I'm talking about a real hallelujah, not some fake hallelujah. Tap, turn around, tap three people, tell them praise. That's fake. I'm talking about going through to your job and, and your boss just cursed you out and you still got a smile on your face and, and you turn around and you walk out and you still got a hallelujah, thank you Jesus. You don't know like I know. Won't he do it? In your spirit. <laughs> Peter says, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now it gets gooder. It's good, gooder. Put verse 8 up. Verse 8. Verse 8. Verse 8 says, Whom you have not seen, yet you love him. That's why the world don't understand and think we lost our mind. Y'all Christians, y'all crazy, y'all worshiping a God, you ain't never seen him. How you know he did that for you? <laughs> I, let me digress for a moment. Old time story I heard a long time ago about this, 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 this old black mother in the south. She was in poverty. And this plantation owner... He didn't believe in God, but this mother had her faith in God and she was hungry and she was starving and her kids in the house were starving. They didn't have no crops. They didn't have any food. Nobody was giving them nothing. And she just began praying, oh, Lord, I know you're going to meet my needs. I know you're going to meet my needs. And this old atheist landowner just was listening outside the door. She praying to God. Look at what he's doing for her right now. He ain't gave her nothing. And he said, I'm going to show her. I'm going to play a trick on her. He went and bought her. $500 worth of groceries, set it on her front porch, knocked on the front door and ran and peeked around the side of the house. Mother was still praying. She heard a knock on the door. She went out to the, to the porch and she looked out and she saw all of them groceries. She said, oh, Lord, I thank you. Won't he do it? The landowner then jumped out from the side of the house and said, yo, God didn't do that. I bought them groceries. She got into another level of praise and said, oh, Lord, thank you. And you made the devil pay for it, too. Glory. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Even though you have not seen him, you love him. Hey. Won't he do it? <laughs> Won't he will? <laughs> hey! I say God is looking for true worshipers who will worship him 
in spirit and in truth. So the I'm not even done yet, but y'all sit down for a moment. Y'all making me nervous now. Y'all making me nervous. So since the foundation of the world, since the beginning of the creation of man, God has made man to put his wisdom and his love on display to the angels. So angels still are learning from you and I. When the offering time came around just a few minutes ago, there was angels perched over the lookout in heaven saying, I'm going to see what they're going to do because I'm learning how to worship. Even when you ain't got everything you want to have. They're looking at your obedience. And, and they say, wait a minute now. I know I'm programmed to worship. Whatever God tells me to do, I'm going to do it. But I'm looking at them. They got a free choice. They can tithe if they want to or tithe if they don't. They can give love offerings if they want to. <laughs> What's your angel learning from you? God has been using you and I to teach angels how to worship. So the Lord told me that the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It's the oldest book in the Bible. It's accredited to have been written by Moses along with the first five books of the Bible. Now, how did Moses know all of that? Moses wasn't there. Well, revelation of the Holy Spirit. For no scriptures of private interpretation, but... It's God breathed and God gave inspiration, he, uh, revelation to man. And they wrote as the Holy Spirit inspired them. And so Job was written. And most of the time when we read the book of Job, we think it's a book about suffering and trial. How Job lost everything. How Job had these sores in his body and how Job was in suffering. And his, even his three friends came to him and they misunderstood and misjudged. Job is not so much about suffering as it is about creation and worship. Job is an example of what I've just been talking about. Because in Job chapter 38, God looks at Job in the midst of his suffering. And Job is, you know, Job is in this, he's in this free choice position on the earth. And, and the principalities in heaven are, are, are watching Job. And Job's not quite yet getting the lesson that God's looking for worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. And Job, he doesn't curse God, but he begins to misunderstand God. Because you got to have a true understanding of God to have right worship. And, and the truth of God is being blurred in Job's misunderstanding. Sometimes pain and suffering will cause that. Come on, when you're in the hospital and you're on your bed, oh Lord, why you have me here? God, I, I've only been obeying you, Lord. Why did it happen to me, Lord? I've just been doing what you told me to do. And, and you, you forget the truth of who God is. And Job lost sight of that. And so God had to take him back to creation. And he answered Job in verse 1, out of the whirlwind. And he said, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? See, whenever God asks a question, he's not lacking information. He's about to teach you something about him. He said, listen, you've been saying stuff that you don't even have knowledge about. If you're so smart, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth in verse 4? Tell me, he says, if you have any understanding. <laughs> Tell me if you can understand how the earth is sitting. In the, is sitting in a place it's spinning around on its axis and it's spinning around the sun and it's not bumping into the other planets tell me if you have understanding surely you know 
Can you tell me how I determine the measurements of the earth? Can you tell me how I determined its exact circumference? Can you tell me how I determined the plates and the layers of the earth? Can you tell me why I have the earth so many miles away from the sun that if the, if the earth moved one inch to the, towards the sun, we'd all burn up? If it moved one inch away from the sun, we all freeze? Can you tell me how I determined the measurements between Pluto and Mars and Saturn? Were you there, Joe? Surely you know. To what were its foundations fashioned? How, how is it that everything is just, do you see the strings that I'm holding it up with, Job? Were you there when I laid its cornerstone, when I, when I put the first stone in creation? Were you there when the morning star sang? You know what the morning star? Those are the angels. Were you there when I created them? And the first word out of their mouth was, Hallelujah. They were created to worship God. The first image that they saw, just like a baby chick when it's hatched, the first face that it sees is the face of its loving mother hen, and it follows that mother hen wherever it goes. That's how the angels were created. So God gives Job a lesson in creation. These angels, created without emotion, created without trial, created without lack, created without need, created without sin, created not in a sinful environment, but this perfect environment, it's easy to worship God then. But God is not looking for that type of worship. <laughs> that's, that's ordinary worship. We, we think that's supernatural worship. They rest not day and night, but they cry, holy, holy, holy. God's like, you know what? That's easy. I'm looking for some worship in spirit and in truth. I'm looking for some worship even when you're going through. I'm looking for some worship like Paul and Silas locked up in a Philippian jail. So in Job's day, in chapter, chapter 1, we're introduced to Job. That he was a man who was perfect and upright, who feared God, who hated evil. He had these ten children and... Uh, the Bible said that Job was, was perfect, but he knew that his children were created with a sin nature, and so he would offer up sacrifices every day for his children. Now, he had a lot of stuff to offer up as sacrifice. He had all kind of camel, all kind of oxen, all kind of cattle, all kind of sheep, all kind of goats. I mean, he had many servants. He, had, he was wealthy. He was blessed materially. The Bible says in verse 6 of Job 1, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, I've come from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. He said, the devil is looking for worshipers. He's looking for people who will deny the image of God and who will give him their worship. He's looking for people who will have a false truth and understanding about God that will cause your worship to be unacceptable by the Lord. He's like a roaring lion walking to and fro, looking for someone to devour. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job that there is no one like him on the earth? He's blameless. He's an upright man. He's one who fears God and he hates evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hand. You've blessed his possessions. You've increased him in the land. But now, if you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, he will surely curse you to your face. See, that's the accusation of the devil. 
Will that be true about you? If you didn't have some stuff, would you still have a worship in your heart for God? If you didn't have the health and the strength of your body, would you still have a worship for God? If your children had a disability, would you still praise God as if they didn't? See, the devil's making an accusation. Don't let it be true about you. Job had all these possessions. It was easy for him to worship God. It was easy for him to offer up a sacrifice for his children. It didn't cost him nothing. He was, them, baby, them, them cattle were still given, having babies every day. He could, he could continue to offer them up. It didn't cost him anything. David said, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. But God said to the devil, all right, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to use Job as a mud man example to you and to all the principalities how to worship me. And the Lord said, I'm going to lower the hedge and you can come this far but no farther. You can touch his family, you can touch his possessions, you can even touch his body but you can't take his life. Let you know that the devil is on the leash. <laughs> he can bark but he can't bite you. Because God's got his hand on the leash. He's got the devil tied up. And God is using the devil to teach principalities worship through you. And so one by one, so servants began coming in to tell Job that this band of raiders came in and he took all your cattle. As he was leaving, another servant came in and said, another band of raiders came in from another country. They took all your camels. Come on, those are your Cadillacs. That's your mode of transportation. When he left, another servant came in and said, another band came from this direction. They took all your sheep and all your goats and they killed all your servants and I'm the only one left. As he was leaving, another servant came in and said, your children were, were having a party in their oldest brother's house and there was this, there was this earthquake and there was this, this, this tidal wave and this strong wind and it knocked the house down and all your children died on the inside of it. And Job's wife comes in and she's discouraged and she says, Job, I can't take this anymore. Come on, this, this is not, I can't worship. How can you worship God in this situation? Just curse God and die. And it's in that moment that all of the demons in hell are rubbing their hands together and say, now we got him. Now we're going to prove that his worship wasn't real. It was just based on his possessions. And the angels in heaven, God's obedient angels, they're also perched and they're looking and they say, let's learn. Let's learn about worship because we ain't never been through none of that. We ain't got no camels and no cattle and no children. And we can't even get married, let alone have children. They said, let's learn about worship. And they're looking at Job. What is he going to say? What is he going to do? And the demons are like, he's getting ready to curse God. His wife is just. And so Job tears his robe. and say, here it comes. Here it comes. And Job opens up his mouth and he cries, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. I worshiped him when I had the stuff and I'm going to worship him when I don't have the stuff. And the angels put a check mark. Okay, that's real worship right there. Whew. I'm almost done, y'all. <laughs> Let me, let me tell you this, that 
I understand, I think we, we give Mrs. Job a hard time. She says, I can't take it no more. You need to just curse God and die. Why do you still maintain your integrity? Why do you still maintain this image of, of who you think God is, this, this truth? If, that's, if your God is like this, why is there so much suffering in the world? If your God is so good and so true, why did mama die and why did your children die? If God is so good and so just, why are there wars in the world? You ever had anybody ask you that question? I just can't take it. I can't worship a God that would allow this and allow that. <laughs> you see, that's, that's, the, that's the realm that we live in, in the earth realm, because we're trying to understand God with our finite minds and not with faith. And we forget that God created us with a free will, that it's not his will that anyone should perish, but it's his will that all should repent and come to the knowledge of truth. It's not God's will that you should suffer as an, un, as an unbeliever, as an evildoer. But sometimes suffering and sickness and sin and war and murder and disease comes into the world because people have chosen to exercise their free moral will and their choice to worship the, the creation more than the creator. And so they worship money and they worship sex and so they rape and they take the innocence of children and they take money that doesn't belong to them and they take a life that's in the image of God. And they're worshiping the devil who wants to deface and defame the image of God. So we live in this, this realm, as Paul says, that brothers, now we see through a glass dimly. Well, one day we'll see him face to face. But right now I'm down here on the earth and, and I don't understand everything. I'm still dealing with the reality of pain and sickness and war and suffering and evil. And I'm looking at God, the one whom I have not seen, but I still love. And so I, I, I move on this pendulum between wearing the garment of mourning, where I'm weeping and I'm crying and I'm heartbroken because my loved one died or, or my child went astray or innocence was taken. And then God says, listen, you know who I am. You know, I didn't bring that to pass. That was not my will. And so then I swing over and I take off the garment of mourning and I put on the garment of praise and I rejoice in the Lord always. And I say, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And, it, and it's easy to preach, but it's hard to live because tomorrow I wake up and I start missing someone and my heart is broken and I, and I put on that garment of mourning again. And then the Holy Ghost reminds me of the truth of God and I swing back over and I put on that garment of praise. And I still got heaven in view, but I'm living on the earth. So with tears in my eyes, while I'm missing my mama, I still give him a praise. I still give him glory because he's worthy. He's good and he's God all by himself. And when I do that, I'm teaching angels how to worship. That my worship is not based on a feeling. My worship is not based on circumstances and situations all being right in my life. That he's good anyhow. Won't he do it? I'm telling you the angels are coming. The angels are coming. Let me tell you, I'm almost done. The angels are coming. Just begin to play softly. The angels are coming. 
Lastly, they help us to cross over into this new year. They're coming because we need help. Listen, as we move into a new year, this last Sunday of 2018, we're crossing over. The crossover is an exciting place, and I know we're dancing and we're shouting and we're embracing, we're excited about the crossover, but don't get it twisted. The crossover is a place of crisis. There's warfare at the, at the cross. There's warfare. The, the, the place of the crossover is not only a place of crisis, but it's a lonely place. It's a place where you're all by yourself in the wilderness. Like Moses. Lord, what are we going to do? Red Sea in front of us. Pharaoh and his army behind us. Mountains on both sides. You told me to bring all these people out here. God, I feel so alone. God says, stop weeping and complaining and lift up your staff. It's a place of crisis. Joshua's standing in the place of Moses and he's now on the eastern side of the Jordan River and he says, Lord, you brought us out of the bondage of Egypt, but how are we going to take that city of Jericho? Walls are 30, 30 feet thick. 60 feet high. Nobody's ever penetrated that city. We're at this place of crisis. I don't, I don't know what to do. Listen, when you're at the place of crossover, you're at a place where you are at the end of yourself. You're at a place where you have totally depleted your resources, your intellect, your physical ability, that you, you don't know what to do. You've never been here before. So God has to send his angels to assist you. You're at a place of near death. It's such a place of crisis because it doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody else connected to you. If Moses doesn't cross over, nobody cross over. If Joshua doesn't cross over in faith, nobody cross over. We might as well go back to Egypt in slavery. So it requires you to respond above and beyond the call of duty it requires you to exceed your own natural human ability it requires you to requires you to find some strength from somewhere that you don't possess and so God sends his angels to assist you the angels are coming y'all when you're in that place the heavens open and you're weeping and you're crying and you feel like you can't make it but I know the Lord told me to do it and finally you get a tap on your shoulder <laughs> and it's some angelic help sometimes it come in the form of people you're like Jesus in Luke chapter 22 when he came to the place verse 40 says he came to the place he's in the garden of Gethsemane listen he's, we're at that place right now with the place of the crossover he came to the place, a place of crisis, a place where he has no strength, a place he had never been before, a place where, you, where I don't know what to do. I don't even want to do it. He told his disciples, pray that you not enter to temptation. And then he withdrew. Now he's all alone about a stone's throw. He kneels down and he prays and he says, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Lord, I... I want to do it, but I don't want to do it at the same time. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. 
Verse 43 says, an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. God sends the angels not to take the cup from you. Because while you're holding this cup, you're, you're trembling. Lord, I don't, I don't want to drink Kenwan and Marveline's cup. All the sins, all the generational stuff that they inherited. I don't want to drink Brother Michael's sins from the past, from the present, from the future, Lord. If it's possible, let Mark drink his own cup. I can't, I can't, I don't want to do it. The angels don't come to take the cup from your hand, but they come to steady your hand. Say, that's all right. You can do it. You can make it. There's, there's more at stake than just you. You got to drink the cup. They come and they strengthen Jesus. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. They came and they strengthened him. Some of you are at that place of crossover. You need the angelic help of God to strengthen you. Verse 44 says, And he being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Verse 44, that word agony in the Greek means two things. It not only means anguish and suffering and pain and travail, but it also means that you sweat by a pregame exercise, a workout. What does that mean? That means that Jesus, being in the Garden of Gethsemane, was the place of crossover. Jesus was in a pregame workout in Gethsemane for the real game that was coming at the cross. If you've ever been to a sporting event, whether it's football or basketball or baseball, there's always a batting practice. There's always some stretching. There's always some sprints. There's always some line drills. These athletes are working their muscles. They're working up a lather and a sweat before the game so that when the tip-off occurs, they're already at peak and maximum performance. They're not waiting until the tip-off to start you know, I think I'll stretch. I hope my first shot go in. No, I've already been practicing this thing for 45 minutes, for an hour and a half. I've already been in the gym. I've already got a massage. Jesus was working up a lather and his sweat was like great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane because he knew he was getting ready to cross over. That's why verse 45 says, when he rose up from prayer, came to the disciples and very, the next thing happened, Judas and his betrayers, his arresters show up. And now Jesus has already got the victory. He says, who do you seek? They say, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. And when he says that power and virtue is released, there's an angelic presence that steps between him and Judas and everybody else and they fall to the ground and only he's standing there. they didn't take him he gave himself away <laughs> he could have called 10,000 angels to free himself but he knew that you and I were in that cup Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light life and love of Jesus Christ as a part of this mission join us for special services workshops and encounters Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. 
You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.